Hello students and welcome to Class of X, the free internet course on how to read and enjoy the X-Men comics better. I'm your teacher and host, John Reisinger, and today we're returning to the story we started at the beginning of this podcast one year ago and talking about the X-Men crossover event that followed Jonathan Hickman's House of X, Powers of Ten. Uh, but this event was so huge and amazing, I am splitting this discussion into our first two-parter. So, Grab your favorite sword, snuggle up with your apocalypse plushie, and let's start talking about Jonathan Hickman and Teeny Howard's X of Swords. This event was a beast, and it's something that I admittedly, when I first read it back in 2020, uh, did not fully understand the scope and story that Hickman and Howard were trying to unveil here. But having spent time since then you know in the x-men world and learning more about it and even right now reading through it again this series x of swords might be turning into one of my favorite crossover events ever because it has everything you could ask for with the big crossover event it's got high stakes and and a big battle and fight that you're you know concerned and uh, invested in um concerned about and invested in um it has a new lore for the x-men that is interesting and challenging um it has crossovers across everything and there's like 25 issues that connect to this story from and they and, and they're published in x-factor and wolverine and x-force and x-men and other stuff and so it's giant and then on top of that it's a fantasy story x of swords is a fantasy story it is up there with princess bride and stardust and lord of the rings even and i love it because it involves magic and high fantasy and monsters and demons and swords it's amazing i'm hoping that by the end of these let's call them two episodes i'm going to do on the crossover event you're going to not only have a better understanding of what happened in the story and what you need to understand before the story to fully comprehend everything, but also I'm hoping I can kind of uh, uh, inject in you all the sheer amount of enjoyment I get out of this story. Um, because while it was the first crossover event after the soft reboot of Hoxpox, um, I don't see it as the fan favorite of the crossover events that I kind of think it should be. I could be wrong. That's anecdotal of myself. Um, but genuinely rereading it through and getting a better understanding of this whole new history that the story uh, develops, I'm obsessed with it. I'm obsessed with it, and I hope you become obsessed with it. And this entire story wraps around just an awesome character. It's all about Apocalypse. We're going to be talking about Apocalypse so much. And I know a lot of people know of Apocalypse. He appeared in the Fox cartoon, um, played a big role in that. He also got his own feature film uh, portrayed by Oscar Isaac. Um, and unfortunately, the cartoon and the movies have not fully encapsulated the kind of gravity that this character has not only had in the past with X-Men comics, but now in a Krakoan era, um, really like what he means to this mutant nation and their history. And so with history in mind, I thought it'd be helpful if I gave you guys a little bit of apocalypse history, because I'm sure a lot of people are like, who's this? I don't understand. Who I like, I know this, this gray blue guy. He's very powerful. He's very mean, loves to make mutants fight each other. But I don't really know what he is. And um, spoiler, 
I don't fully understand everything about Apocalypse because he has been with the X-Men comics for decades, has gone through multiple like retcons, uh, including, I mean, honestly, this whole X of Swords story. And so we're not going to get into the weeds of everything Apocalypse because that could be an entire episode. And if you want that kind of an episode, I would recommend instead go listen to an episode of Cerebro where uh, they cover just Apocalypse, and that's all we're doing. We're not going to do it. We're covering X of Swords, but I still want to talk about Apocalypse, who is an ancient mutant that was born in ancient Akaba, which is part of Jordan. Um, he's a mutant who was eventually later uh, upgraded or merged or uh, touched by celestial technology. Celestials are this like godlike alien race. Gods and aliens are a difficult conversation to have about Marvel Comics because you're like, yes, Thor is a god. What does that mean? It's complicated. <laughs> and so the, I think I think actually the Marvel movies put it really well where uh, if uh, technology becomes so advanced and beings become so advanced, they almost become magical, if not godlike. Um, and so the Celestials were just that. They were a godlike uh, alien race that upgraded apocalypse so he was already pretty powerful became even more powerful um and he's also considered one of the first mutants there was actually a time in the marvel comics he was called and claimed to be the first mutants now as time has gone by we have learned about other ancient mutants that have come much before uh apocalypse but he is one of the first um, born in very like very ancient times. That's why like he has connections with ancient Egypt because he grew up in that kind of era. And by um, but he he aged only to a certain level because Apocalypse is also a part of a limited let's call that like subspecies of mutants called the Externals, which is fun because it's the word eternal with the letter X added into it, um, and it's. They're called externals because they um, are more powerful than a lot of mutants, but more importantly, they're immortal to certain degrees and for for certain reasons. But they're all immortal to some extent, um, and that's why Apocalypse has lived for so long and, like, has died many times, more times than Jean Grey. Everyone gets mad at Jean Grey for dying so many times in the X-Men comics and coming back. Apocalypse has done it like twice as many as Jean. <laughs> Every time there's been a story like where he's the big baddie, at the end of it, Cyclops or Cable or somebody kills him. It's like, oh, we finally killed him for good. It's like, no, he comes back more often than like uh, Jason in in Halloween. Um, and so he's immortal. There's other immortal mutants that are like him. Um Probably the most well-known one is Celine, who I don't think I've covered very much in this show. I would love to do an episode where we kind of do a Celine story because she's this over-the-top diva-esque, almost like a mutant drag queen or uh, that is also from ancient times from like a, a Grecian society, I think. I'm going to have to get. Uh, I'm going to have to get up to date on my Celine lore. Um, but I'd love to do a Celine story. Um, but we're not doing a Celine story. We're doing Apocalypse. Getting myself back on track. Apologies, everybody. I have ADHD. Um, and where are we finding Apocalypse at the beginning of the story? We're finding him in this ancient land called Okara. I'm going to apologize right now. Because in all of their 
genius in writing these stories. Um, the lands that we're going to talk about, they all sound a little bit similar. So it's okay if I mess it up. It's okay if you mess it up. But we are starting with Okara. Okara is going to be later connected to Krakoa. Um, and there, it's it's we'll we'll kind of talk about that in a second. But Okara was this ancient land that Apocalypse and his wife. Yes, Apocalypse has a wife. He's got a wifey. He's a he's a he's a husband. He's someone's boo. Um, and he is uh the boo to Genesis, who is another ancient uh mutant who uh, hasn't been claimed as an external but she lives for thousands of years as well as do their children their children live for thousands of years i guess if you're like born from apocalypse uh, you would have pretty good genes um and if you're born from apocalypse and an omega level mutant which is what genesis is um you're going to be hearty you're going to be hearty mutant um and they have four hearty children um and they name their children this is the silly part of this, but I think it's still cute. They named their children after the four concepts that their mutant paradise had overcome and no longer had a problem with. Um, yes, the four horsemen of Apocalypse that Apocalypse has always been obsessed with gathering in the X-Men comics were originally his four little babies. Um, his babies were named War, Famine, uh, Death, and... Oh, what's the other one? Pestilence. I always forget. I always forget pestilence. I'm sorry, pestilence. Um, but yes, his four babies, and they're powerful mutants as well. Um, he had them, and they were living in their own paradise, very similar to how mutants right now are living on the paradise island of Krakoa, um, but uh, very similar to the Krakoan paradise, which has been uh, disrupted quite uh, drastically with the fall of X right now. Okara was disrupted through the invasion um, of a demon horde uh, from the dark dimension called Amenth. Um, and Amenth is this like uh, expansionistic dimension that wanted to come to good old Earth. Um, and it seems that they wanted to come not only to expand, but they saw mutants of Earth as uh, good like breeding stock in order to uh, merge their demons with even more stronger beings and then create stronger beings for more expansion. Um, everybody right now on TikTok is obsessed with making fun of straight men and their, I guess, obsession of the Roman Empire. Um, I'm not really obsessed with the Roman Empire. I'm obsessed with X-Men and Pokemon and stuff like that. Um, but if you like the Roman Empire, you'd like Amenth because they just wanted to become as big as possible. Um, and so they invade Okara um, and uh, the mutants there are powerful and hold them off, um, despite the fact uh, that their god, basically, um, who is this character called Annihilation, um, which is also confusing because Annihilation is a term used in Marvel Comics for other stuff, um, uses what they call the Twilight Blade to split Okara into two lands, which is where we get Krakoa and Arako. And so uh, it basically turns it turns Akara basically into its femme and mask side. Um, I don't know the pronouns of Krakoa and I don't know the pronouns of Arako. And so but they clearly as artists were trying to draw Krakoa as the mask, uh, maybe he him and Arako as the femme. Um, and uh, the mutants of both of those islands now continue to hold off 
Amenth um, until a fun new character we get to meet that's very important uh, later on in the comics, especially in X-Men Red. Um, uh, this mutant named Iska the Unbeaten, who is the sister of Genesis, um, due to her mutant power of not being able to lose, um, she defects to Amenth um, because the tides begin to turn and her mutant power won't allow her to lose, and so she joins Amenth. Um, and actually finds a hubby there that we'll meet later on. A lover, a hubby. I don't know if they got married. Um, so in order to save uh, the you know Earth and the future of the mutants race, um, Genesis decides to uh, basically perform a sacrifice. They they first send um, a group of their best warriors, led by the White Sword, through the portal to as like a first. Uh, wave of people to hold off this horde that has split their land in half and is is coming through um and then genesis and her four kids and and the island arako and all of the okaran mutants they go through the portal into a month and um seal it in order to hold off a month for forever um but they task they leave apocalypse um and they task him basically with preparing you know, the, the future races of the mutants of earth, um, for if they should fail. And this is where they kind of wrote in an origin of the why behind, uh, apocalypse's obsession with survival of the fittest. He's always, you know, been pitting mutants against each other, trying to strengthen them, make them bigger. It's why, what's why he did what he did to angel and made him into archangel. Um, and this is the, the origin of it is that he, lost his family to this demon horde and is now um, obsessed with making mutants of earth as strong as possible because if the day comes that Amenth comes back they need to be ready um, and they were correct Amenth came back um, before Amenth came back um, Genesis and her people in Amenth uh, built these great towers to defend themselves build a home in Amenth and keep the hordes at bay for millennia um, they were just this, they were in like constant war for millennia to some degree. And that is where they stayed for quite a while. That was until uh, there was this uh, prophetic mutant uh, called Idol, um, who foresaw the fall, the eventual fall of Arako, which made Genesis, who's like, nah, girl, that's not my thing. Um, she decides to, uh, you know, like take, you know, her story in her own hands um her destiny and takes out her strongest mutants to just finally defeat a month once and for all because they think they have a month on the on the ropes they they've been um keeping them at bay and defeating them battle after battle and so Genesis is like no we can end this um she heads out on a, like this years long crusade to defeat annihilation and its demon horde. Um, and, and what actually uh, undoes her is that she comes across that character I mentioned a while ago, who was the first wave of mutants to go through the portal to fend off a for good, which is the white sword. But the white sword had basically, he got a little crazy. The white sword's kind of a cool character, but he went a little crazy, and it's okay. He figures out his his jam a little bit later. Um, but him and his 100 warriors basically went in and created their own tower to defend, and through his mutant power, um, they basically fight every single day to the death and are resurrected at the end of each day by the white sword's ability. 
um, which is kind of cool. It's very fairy tale, very mythological. But they meet the White Sword, and he's gone crazy and doesn't see anybody as friend, no matter if they're Okarin, or I mean Arakin, or if they're Amenth, and he fights them, and he sends Genesis home packing um, after a defeat. Um, when she gets home, that's when we find out that uh, Iska is sent there to uh, send a message of, to parlay with Annihilation. And I have to say, am I the only person who now associates parlay with Pirates of the Caribbean? I don't know if that's where I learned it from the first time. It could have been. It's hard to tell where you know these concepts originate in your own life. But I just think of Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, call me crazy if that's not anybody else's situation. Um, but uh, Parlay is uh, sent and requested, and Genesis accepts. And uh, kind of what happens at this point in the story when she does go to Parlay is a mystery. The only thing that's not a mystery is that when she arrives, she finds out that their idea that they were holding back Amenth was a trick. That while Amenth had been sending out, you know, demons to fight them and loot and had been losing those fights, all the while they had just been making little demon babies like rabbits for forever and were, you know, just basically uh, duping the mutants into thinking that they were going to win. Um, but when uh, Genesis arrives, she sees the full weight of the Amenth army. Um, and we'll, f- we'll find out exactly the details of what happened after that soon. Um, but I want to go back to Krakoa and X-Men for a moment. Now that we've spent some time talking about the history of Apocalypse and his wife, Genesis, um, which I, I, I wanted to spend time at the top of this episode going up because I feel like that is one as a big heap and chunk of new lore for Apocalypse I think it makes his character even better. I was already, I love his character. I think Apocalypse is is just one of the greatest characters created by uh, Louis Simonson, um, basically tasked with making a brand new AAA baddie, you know, on the level of Magneto. And so Louis Simonson uh, comes up with Apocalypse and nails it, nails it like Next to Magneto, the pinnacle of X-Men villain, basically was the X-Men villain for the 90s. Um, Originated in X-Factor, but then, you know, definitely uh, graced the pages of all of the titles and even got his own uh, uh, reboot, uh, uh, alternate timeline series that we covered uh, once on the show, Age of Apocalypse. And so uh, with all of this new Apocalypse information, uh, I felt like it was it would be helpful to kind of go over some of that. They go over this in the story, but it can be hard to really digest it all, I find. Even myself, someone who has like encyclopedic level of information of the X-Men, um, it's a lot. This, this story throws a lot at you. So if you read this story and you're like, I don't fully understand this. Should I know this character already? Should I not know this character? What are these things? This is why we're doing an episode like this. Um, but we go back to Krakoa, and this is actually now we're back in like present time. And what happens is um, before X of Swords, um, a mysterious island appears off of Krakoa, and we find out later that it's actually a piece of Arako that has been brought back into Earth's dimension with uh, one of the grandchildren of Apocalypse, who is this being called a summoner. Um, and we find out later that the summoner is actually the child of war, um, one of Apocalypse's kids, and her uh, hubby, Bracken. 
who is important later when it comes to the swords, which we haven't gotten the swords yet, but we will soon. So Summoner comes through with Arako. Krakoa becomes obsessed with reuniting with its other piece, um, basically like treating its other piece, like the uh, Arako part of itself as like its long lost uh, partner um, and wants to be reunited. And because of Krakoa's history with Apocalypse, Basically, for the foreseeable future, Krakoa kind of uh, pairs with Apocalypse in order to do whatever they can to get get Krakoa fully reunited with its lost pieces. Um, and uh, at the same time, prior to X of Swords, the story that Teeny Howard had been developing with Apocalypse was that now that the mutants had established their Krakoan nation, Apocalypse felt like their next step was to upgrade themselves even further by pursuing mutant magic even further. Um, Apocalypse being ancient and and knowledgeable about uh, things like magic um, uses, and this is in the the Excalibur um, story, uh, which I highly recommend you read that prior to X of Swords if you can. Um, But he is doing magic stuff and that's why then when the summoner comes, he decides I'm gonna do big old magic and I'm going to make a great gate um, that will reach from Araco um, or the piece of Araco to Otherworld. Um, and we're going to talk about Otherworld in literally one second. Um, but the the reason why he does that is because he he you know with the, the the appearance of the summoner and that kind of thing, he feels like it's finally come time where he can be reunited with his family. And in order to reunite with his family, he 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 himself uh, takes it upon himself to perform a great sacrifice. Well, not a great sacrifice for himself. Sacrifice for all of his other external friends. He summons all the externals and sees them as no longer, as a kind of obsolete because they were these advanced immortal mutants. Well, mutants are now advanced and immortal because of the resurrection protocols. And so he kind of like just sacrifices them all and uses their ancient mutant bones um, including his ancient mutant bones, eventually, um, to create this great gate to Otherworld, um, which is where Amenth is now. Um, what the heck is Otherworld? This is why I was like, oh, this would actually be a really important story to go over with people because this is not only a really fun story to read, but it's going to be a really confusing story to read because it, it involves not only new lore like Genesis and the Arakans, um, but it also goes into old lore that maybe not everybody who's an X-Men fan understands, like Otherworld. And I'm gonna I'm gonna admit, I am not the biggest expert on Otherworld, but I've tried to become as big of an expert as possible because I've read a lot of it in the past, but in, you know, in the recent present, I've been reading more and more about it because it's a really interesting part of the Marvel universe. Otherworld is this this kind of like neighboring pocket dimension next to earth 616 that serves as this nexus of all realities and so while otherworld does have a direct connection to earth 616 it also is the home of this floating uh palace called the starlight citadel which a plus on naming this building (laughs) starlight citadel um i don't think the gays helped with it but that just feels like the gays helped name that thing um and it is ruled by a gay icon um, who, I don't know herself if she's queer, but she's still a queer icon. You don't have to be queer to be a queer icon. Um, but uh, it's ruled by Opal Luna Saturnine, the Omniversal Magistrix. Again, 
The Starlight Citadel is ruled by Opal Luna Saturnine, the Omniversal Magistrix. I love just saying that. It's so fun. <laughs> so Otherworld is the nexus of all realities. Um, Starlight Citadel is that actual nexus where the palace itself is said to house halls and halls and halls of doors and doors and doors that each lead to every uh, dimension, every every universe, um, the multiverse. And it is run by uh, uh, Saturnine and it is protected by the the um, Captain Britain, Britain Corps, um, which is kind of like the Green Lantern Corps, but it's a bunch of British uh, white dudes um, and they are magical and powerful. Um, so who is Saturnine, though, who the leader of this uh core and uh the ruler of the citadel saturnine is just a a human um i think from earth nine if i have my information correct um who was chosen to be the omniversal magistrix and is now like nigh omnipotent in powers due to like a a mixture of like sorcery and advanced technology so when you're reading x of swords you're like this lady can do a lot of stuff like she pauses a battle between the X-Men and the Amenthi Horde. Um, she is able to plant uh, psychic traps in the minds of people that not even like Rachel Summers um, can like deal with. Um, and she is just honestly a multiverse bureaucrat um, who was not originally in charge of other world that i think originally was merlin and his daughter roma um but we're not going to get into the whole history of other world we're just going to say right now she's now in charge of the of other world um and she's obsessed with herself with uh Psylocke's brother brian braddock who's a human and the uh first uh captain britain of earth 616 and basically herself brian and just order um and she's cold. She's fine with like destroying an entire dimension if that means the better good for everything. Um, she's uh, she thinks herself as high and mighty over all the other creatures. So why, that's, she's got a lot of confidence. That girl's dripping with confidence. Um, but she's in charge of Otherworld, which is split up right now into these vassal states, um, which there's like half of them are called the fair courts and half of them are called the foul courts. Um, and there's a mixture of all of them all and, and that uh, we learn in you know, a lot of details about by reading Exoswords. Jonathan Hickman loves his little info dump pages. I know some people don't like that because they like, bring me the pictures. I want the pretty pictures and story. I don't want just big pages of an essay that I got to read. Um, me, someone who's obsessed with uh, X-Men information, generally speaking, adores those pages because <laughs> like they're such great info dumps and I love a good info dump. It's like there was one from Hawkspox that was like, was the info dump on Omega level mutants? And I'm like, this is fantastic. And so there's a lot of info dump pages in X of Swords and they're all about the different courts of Otherworld. But the first one that's of paramount importance is uh, Dryador, which is the one, it's one of the foul courts, and it's the court that Amenth basically invaded and annexed, and that's why Amenth and Annihilation and all the Demon Horde and Apocalypse's children are all in Otherworld. And they're basically using Otherworld as a connection point between the Amenth dimension and Earth, because Amenth has a connection to Dryador now, um, I don't know if they have fully 
explained why they have a connection to Dryador or if that was always the case. I kind of translate it as that there is the fair court, Avalon, uh, which is permanently connected to uh, our England. Um, Avalon is like what you're thinking of. It is like, you know, magical knights and and dragons and Merlin and Arthur and all of that. And so there is a, a door between Avalon and Earth. Um, and so basically they're like passing through other worlds to get to Earth in order to finally get all their, their to, to, to expand like Amanth is doing. Um, so when that convergence happens and basically Apocalypse is duped by his grandchild Summoner into thinking he's going to reunite with his kids, his kids are now not very happy with him. They attack him. They almost kill him. And they almost kill everybody that is in there with Apocalypse. Um, and Saturnine stops that fight. And that's where we find ourselves in X of Swords where Saturnine goes, okay, I have seen a prophecy. She has a fun little game with tarot cards. Not a game. She has a fun little thing with tarot cards um, that uh, f- kind of foresees this uh, prophecy where in order to decide who's going to win this big fight between the Amenthi Horde and uh you know basically saturnine's side of the fight and who's going to basically be in charge or have control of otherworld is going to be decided through this uh champion of swords tournament um and so it is prophesied that there will be 10 sword bearers 10 swords from each side they got three days to find their swords and find their sword bearers and bring them to this uh to this battlefield to finally do this tournament to defy decide who wins and that's the, that's the crux of what x of swords is x of swords is this fight for control of otherworld and it's saturnine using the x-men and their altruistic you know concerns to fight off the amenthi horde the saturnine uses people um because she's uh she doesn't get her hands dirty if she doesn't have to she will use other people um and so this is kind of where we find ourselves in this fight um where apocalypse uh you know realizes now he has to some for some reason fight his family he doesn't know what happened in a month when they all went through he doesn't know it's been happening for thousands of years with his family and now he's even more sad because he was very sad because he got split from his family and now his kids try to kill him like that's gonna make you bum that's gonna bum you out i'm sorry if my kids try to kill me tomorrow that'd make me bummed out um i really hope they don't do that they probably won't um so saturnine issues this prophecy uses polaris as like kind of like the prophet for the prophecy um and reveals this great little poem about where to find the 10 sword bears and the 10 swords for the x-men side and so then that's kind of like the first half of x of swords is all of this and the search for the all the swords um and we're going to cover a little bit there right now in this episode but there's going to be more later we're going to cover later including the tournament itself but uh the swords it's this is this is part of why i love this story is that it's i love a good like there's a secret magical artifact that we have to find and we're going to go on a little adventure to find that artifact i mean that is stardust that is lord of the rings and it's so fun and it it bleeds into all parts of x-men lore um which tickles my uh my fancy a lot um and i'm going to go through it a little bit right now because like um 
they're they have to go find the five swords but there's there's stakes to this whole thing that are, is set up pretty geniusly at the top um where in through a battle in Otherworld, um while apocalypse is getting almost murdered by his children patricide patricide um and the one of the the summoner actually the summoner kills rock slide who's actually one of the mutants from um new x-men i think we covered that in the bk episode we met rock slide um santo um and they find out that when they try to resurrect him and they also have to resurrect who they resurrect richter they resurrect richter who dies of wounds after coming through back through the portal they find out that richter resurrects perfectly fine and is fine is good and dandy that rock slide is all wrong and through you know some some looking into it they figure out that because of the of the way that other world is this nexus of all realities and all possible versions of someone when you die in other world the resurrection protocols kind of like through magic is like is the big disruptor doesn't work and they you're you're brought back as like a version of yourself but it is not the version that died um, and they actually, sadly, Rockslide is the one who has to be sacrificed in order for them to find this out. They later, they, they later name him um, Wrongslide, which is fantastic and tragic all at the same time. So now the stakes are got to find the swords in three days, got to get all the sword bearers ready in three days. And when you guys go to this tournament, if you die in this tournament, not only will you know you lose but you will die forever and if they lose the whole tournament they lose otherworld and basically the amenthi horde will take over earth um so big stakes gotta go find the swords but the first sword is very easy to find it is uh magic uh iliana resputina um and her soul sword which was made by her in limbo through magics and the use of her like fragments of her own soul um and she already knows that it's her she already knows that it's her sword and so she starts the summoning circle uh which is oh this is also tragic the summoning circle that the 10 sword bears have to stand upon in three days in order to be summoned back into Otherworld because uh saturnine closed the great gate the external gate um is made this 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 summoning circle is made by the bones the rocks, um, the bones of rock slide and by Polaris. Um, and they all have to stand on their little runes and then eventually be summoned. But magic's the first one. The second one is the second sword is, uh, Wolverine has to go find this sword. He figures out through his poem that it's him and he knows what sword there's one sword that is the most like important and notable sword from his history and the most powerful sword from his history and that's the miramasa blade um miramasa blade was forged by miramasa who is considered the most accomplished swordsmith ever and wolverine literally has to go find him in hell um because he was like trapped there by the hand um to use hell as like a as a sword forge um and he has to go there to find uh new miramasa blades and he actually is assisted by who is later going to be his com- com- competition in the tournament this uh Arakan, um mutant named solemn who actually uh was banished because he killed uh, uh war's husband bracken 
Um, and so he, him and Solemn actually fight off like a demonic horde inside of hell itself uh, and get these two new Miramasa blades. Um, and so Wolverine makes sense. Got his history as a samurai, um, loves a good blade, has six that pop out of his knuckles. Um, he's the second sword bearer and has his second sword. The third blade is uh, a, a new sword to a lot of people. Um, it's a sword from Wakanda called Skybreaker. And I don't know if everybody remembers or knows that Storm used to be married to Black Panther. I imagine that's pretty common knowledge. I think people have their own opinions on what that is. I'll tell you what my opinion of Storm as the wife of Black Panther. A lot of people think that that was like an, I think erroneously are under the impression that that was like an upgrade to Storm. Sweetie, that wasn't an upgrade to Storm. They were trying to uh, bring Black Panther to a higher note because Storm is queen. Storm is a goddess. Storm is a mega level mutant. Storm is from giant size X-Men. And um, she, I think Storm is the best when she's not paired up with someone, when they're not trying to get her a man. Um, I don't think Storm wants a man. I think Storm wants a woman again. Storm used to have a girlfriend. Um, uh, And every time they give her a man, I feel like, it lessen, lessens her. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's just my opinion. Um, but uh, she married Black Panther, which is fun in its own kind of way, or at least maybe interesting in its own way. But their divorce was inevitable, and it happened. And they left on, like, complicated terms. And this whole uh, fight in order to retrieve Skybreaker, which is this very sacred sword that is not supposed to be touched by anybody but the king of Wakanda and is never supposed to leave the land of Wakanda. But Storm needs Skybreaker because if she doesn't get Skybreaker, not only will Wakanda be destroyed, but all of Earth. So it's kind of like this this dissonance between, um, you know, an unstoppable object and an immovable wall. Um, and Storm is the unstoppable object that breaks the immovable wall and gets Skybreaker, um, this this Wakandan sword that amplifies the energy of its user, which makes sense because Storm is just literally energy incarnate. Um, the fourth blade is uh, actually a mutant. Um, his name is Warlock, and he is a mutant uh, part of the race of the Technarchs. Um, and he is best friends with his best self-friend, Cypher, who is the translator of the mutant race. Um, he is the one who can speak Krakoa, um, speak to Krakoa, the island, can speak any language, um, and he is not a combatant. He is not a fighter. He is the, he is the new mutant that died. Um, he is their, their, the death in their family, kind of like uh, Thunderbird was the death in the X-Men's family, or the first one. Cypher was that, and he is going to be tasked with using Warlock, who is a, a uh, like, can morph into things, uh, morphed into a blade, and Cypher is going to have to use Warlock in the tournament. Um, so, including Cypher is, like, one of the curveballs in this uh, cast of sword bearers, because he, again... He's not a swordsman. He's not a fighter. He doesn't have an offensive mutant ability. Um, he likes books. He likes computer coding. Um, he likes talking to his tree friend. Um, and that's about it. Um, but the fifth 
Blade Carer is actually quite the combatant, and it is um, Cable, Kid Cable, actually. Young Cable? Young Cable. We'll call him Young Cable. Um, because old Cable got killed by Young Cable. We can't get into that right now. I'll tell you that story later. Um, young Cable killed himself, um, but only the older version of himself. Anyways, he's now in like the Krakoan era, and he, in his uh, uh, comic, Cable, that was released after House of X, Powers of Ten, he found a uh, sword the called the Light of Galador um, in the body of a monster on the Arakan Arako Island, um, and now he has this really cool sword that is a sword from the alien race, the Dryadors, that was used by one of their space knights. What was his name? Morn, something like that. Um, we we're, we're not going to get into the Dryador. We're not going to get into space knights because I don't know their stuff very well. I know X Men, and so all I know is that Cable has this really cool light up sword it's very like a buster sword um and he pulled it out of a creature and it's going to be the fifth blade that he must uh use in order to be part of the tournament of swords so that's five of the swords there's five more to go over but i'm gonna leave us on like a cliffhanger we're gonna talk about the five other swords in our next episode and we're gonna talk about the tournament and the ramifications of the tournament uh I hope I've I've enticed you with a little bit. I hope I've gotten you like all like uh, hot and bothered about how cool Apocalypse is and how cool his story is now with Araco, um, I mean Okara, um, and uh, all of that. Um, this tournament is fantastic because when you think like, oh, it's going to be ten sword fights, that's what's going to be. Nope, the tournament is not that. The tournament is not even close to ten sword fights. Um, the tournament's not even ten fights, um, and you're gonna. I you can either read ahead if you want, which I encourage you to do, um, which everything is available on Marvel Unlimited. Um, Or you can wait and we'll talk about how this tournament happened in our next episode. Um, And until then, I really do appreciate you guys hanging out and listening to this old man talk about X-Men. I appreciate anybody who's on the Patreon and leaving messages and letting me know what they like and what they want to hear about. I especially love everybody who's been on the Discord chatting with me about you know the episodes we've been talking about as well as just what you guys are reading even if it's not marvel comics even if it's not x-men um and so uh yeah just a thank you to that and i will see you guys next time for part two of x of swords bye